This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. You're going to want to mark your calendars for this. All right. I'm getting out my uh, my calendar as we speak. My, you remember my dad used to have this, like, it was the it was the uh, Franklin, what was the company? I can't even remember. He called it his, his oh, day I planner. Oh, it was Franklin. Yeah. Was... Franklin, they changed their names like a thousand times. Right. Yeah. And he lived and died by that thing. And now- we have it on phones. I know, and oh. it's and it shows up everywhere. It's fantastic. Yeah. But anyway, I have mine out, Good. Chris. So, no, so, plug so what in am I no- marking? So you want to plug in November fifth? Okay. And that is because uh, something really fun. Everybody likes free food, right? Yeah. I'm assuming right. Our listeners like free food. Uh, Zupans on November fifth between eleven and four at all of their locations. They're doing a holiday sampling, including a complete turkey dinner sampling. Seasonal desserts, appetizers, wine, beer, and more. This is all free. Yeah, this is their Taste of Thanksgiving event. I'm excited about this, uh, Chris, because this year the family were at home for Thanksgiving. Like, in fact, I think it's just going to be my wife and our kids. Oh, maybe fair. maybe we'll invite some friends over, but like, we don't do this, and so we need some ideas. And this is the perfect chance for us to go and get some ideas. Well, not only that, because they're your family and you love them, you yep. want to serve them the best food possible, right? And everything at Zupan's is, not everything, but mostly locally sourced. Yeah. And uh, I just went to a dinner event of theirs in the Breezeway in Lake Oswego, and that was absolutely delicious where they had um, their chef prepared a wonderful meal using their ingredients. Very nice. Zupan's Market's the best of the bounty of Oregon for over 40 years, and you mentioned that this event is taking place at all their locations, right? Right, which would be West Burnside, Southeast Belmont, Macadam or Lake Oswego. November 5th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's the Taste of Thanksgiving event. Check it out. Back at it. It's Right at the Fork, Portland's food scene podcast. Uh, By the way, you can find us on Facebook. I'd recommend you do that. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter under the handle foodpodcastpdx. Uh, I'm your host, Court Johnson, along with Chris Angelus. I'm so glad that you're you're listing the Instagram handle because for a year I tripped over those words. Food podcast PDX. Yeah, it's like a tongue twister for me. I only can do it because I wrote it down and it's sitting right in front of me. Well, even with it written down, I was still having a problem with it. But um, Hold Fast Dining, I don't have a problem with. That's easy to say. Sure, it rolls off the tongue. And Joel and Will, we might have a little difficulty with the spelling of Will Price, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but we we can all get there with a little attention paid to it. Um, these, These two guys are great. They do everything together. Yeah. I had proposed to them... At some point, you guys can come on together or individually. I don't think they like to do anything individually. So as a consequence of that, we have learned that when we have two guests in this studio, uh-huh. your mic goes to one of them. Well, we, we ha- I have to make a choice. It's either give up my mic or have them share a mic, and then neither of them are mic'd very well. They have to push it back and forth. Neither of them can get right up on it. And I, 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 you and I had this conversation before we had them in, and I just thought... I have to go in and try to boost their levels so oh, much, and right. it just sounds worse than it do, than it should. I thought, you know what? I'll stand back, and I'll just yell things from the back, no. which I did a few times. Yeah, we shouldn't do that. Well, we'll work on getting another mic. Well, There's day. another day where we get another studio that has another mic, but yeah. then that doesn't always 
these gentlemen are usually it's easier to get them in on a Monday or is Tuesday. there is there a normal there's we've been doing this for our two for almost three years now right there's really not a better date because everybody kind of t- I know Monday's sometimes the day off for chefs right a lot of the a lot of new restaurants are saying no no we're gonna well, be open the, now on Mondays the day off is not always the best day either because that's their they day off got to do other stuff so uh, you can't pick a good day but we've no. always recorded on Monday we used to do Tuesdays but Mondays or Tuesdays we talked about doing Saturdays or Sundays mm-hmm. not my favorite idea but i'd be happy to do it to accommodate um to accommodate you know, when we have a couple of people yeah and but we actually asked will and joel if they could come in on a saturday or sunday and they couldn't right. so here we are in the studio on a monday because yeah. it was important to interview these guys because they're a big part of the boom in portland and food world pop-up yeah. restaurants that pop-ups were restaurant of the year and hold fast was certainly cited as one of the the couple, along with Longbon, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. that were forming the new, um, were shaping the Portland food scene, and there are so now, there you can't really consider them a pop up, but they're not a traditional restaurant. Right. So you buy tickets. This is the new model. Mm-hmm. You buy tickets in advance uh, to hold fast, and quite a bit in advance usually, um, and go in and get a fixed wonderful menu. And these guys are geniuses, and it's a beautiful environment. At, at Fos Piste, yeah, um, over on the uh, southeast, and it was just a pleasure to talk to these guys. They're a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and they and they are at the tail end of this interview. They're going to tease something that I'm looking forward to. I got to talk them into calling it Brenner. They need to call this thing the Brenner dinner. The Brenner dinner. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if you're going to be able to talk them into it's breakfast it. for dinner. It's Brenner. You're probably better off trying to to talk them into getting you on the list so you can get in Maybe, okay, I'll, on sale. I'll start there and then I'll start working on the <laughs> I, I would say that would be more yeah. important. But they're also going to be uh, dining with us at Park Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, November next, 9th. November 9th, thank you. So sit down with uh, Will and Joel and Scott Dolich at Park Kitchen, who all are important parts of Park Kitchen history, and uh, have a meal prepared by David Sapp, who is one of my favorite chefs in Portland right now mm-hmm. at Park Kitchen at our PFA. And also get some uh, get some gift certificates to go check out Dead Shot on Monday nights. Very nice. In the uh, Where they do whole fast dinners. You can sign up for that at uh, portlandfoodadventures.com. God, you're the best court. Right at the Fork is supported by Upserve. Upserve is the cloud-based restaurant management system serving up everything you need to know to run a smoother operation and exceed guest expectations. It's your restaurant. Run it like you mean it with Upserve. Visit upserve.com to request a demo today. Tell them you're a Right at the Fork listener and get special pricing. The Chew Dining Club. Chew Dining Club gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Check in at participating establishments and you'll get rewards you want, like free pizzas, beverages, and extended happy hour deals, plus exclusive information and invites to fun food events. Chew. Find it on iTunes or Google Play. Leanne Bach of M Realty. Choosing the right realtor can make or break the buying or selling experience in real estate. Leanne Bach is in tune with the ever-changing Portland landscape especially as it pertains to our food and restaurant world. Why not work with someone who's in step with you? Find Leanne at LeanneBach.com. L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. And by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and craft beer, emphasizing locally sourced items. Zupan's has been inspiring food lovers and local chefs for over 40 years with the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, Southeast Belmont, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Zupan's Markets. Love your food. 
Now, thanks for coming in. Yeah, definitely. It's been a while. We've wanted to do this for a little while. I know we didn't get to do it when we did our first uh, PFA with you. Right? I don't think did we have the uh, that was a while ago. That was a that while was, ago. That was pre-podcast. I know. So now's the time. Now's the time. <laughs> and how are things going for you guys? Pretty well. Yeah, things are going great. Yeah. Staying staying very busy. And that you you're starting that de- you've started Deadshot. Yeah. I need to get in there. You guys were kind enough to uh, play Deadshot for us with our Park Kitchen PFA. Yes. So I haven't been in. Gary has told me I must go in. But I He shut it down the other a couple weeks ago. That, that is fun. hard to believe. <laughs> Gary usually leaves everywhere at 7 o'clock. I know. Yeah, we uh, we took that as a personal compliment that he uh, that he stayed super late with us. How late did he stay? He, uh, he stayed and he was taking shots with us when everyone else was gone. So 12... Really? 12.15? Yeah. Maybe? Nice. Yeah. What's a, the secret? What's the secret? I've seen him book out at course three of a seven-course <laughs> meal. I've heard those legends before too. Yeah. So, um, well, you guys, might, he he loves you guys. So, does he have a seat with a plaque on it, like he does at Notoguro at Holdfast? He could be our first. Yeah, we have no plaques yet, but I'm Gary sure, would definitely. I'm sure uh, he'll cough it up. <laughs> yeah, for Gary, sure. And we know Gary's listening now. So there you go, buddy. Nice. Payback for some of the <laughs> shit you've given me. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so uh, how do you guys, you guys are in a pretty solid relationship. You're together all the time. <laughs> it definitely feels that way. Yeah, well, of course. So um, anytime I've been with someone that much, it gets a little rocky. Does it get rocky with you guys? I mean, we have moments where, you know, where things can be tense, but it's more like a, it's a familial relationship. We get over it pretty quickly. For sure. So anytime you have any dissension, you understand it's a professional thing and move on. Pretty much, yeah. We're we're able to separate the workout pretty pretty well. I think Mm -hmm. that speaks very well to your egos, because if you both had huge egos, that could, if one of you, had a had a big ego or e- or both, especially both. That would be not, terrible. Could yeah, not, could <laughs> not that, have that happen. So could be trouble for sure. So before you guys started, so you were doing hold fast by yourself, Will, for how long? Uh, six months. Six months. And at what point did you? What what was the changing point for you to say, hey, let's bring Joel in on this? Um, Joel and I were in communication about hold fast uh, before hold fast started. So um, we did a pop-up together before Joel, before Holdfest started, before I went off to Europe, and before Joel went to Chicago. Um, Joel already had plans to go to Chicago, or else he would have been involved in Holdfest from, from day one. It worked out rather uh, conveniently. The restaurant I was at in Chicago closed about six months in Holdfest, so I was able to, to move back to town and, and join in the party. Was that your goal at some point, just to to ride Chicago as long as you wanted to ride it and then come back to Portland? I didn't know when I moved out to Chicago what the goal was. I definitely wanted to go to another big city. I'm from Portland originally, and so I always try and get away for a while, Um, but I I always come back too. What's the longest, what is the longest period of time you've been away? Um, Two and a half years. Oh, okay. Well, I maintain, I have always maintained this. I've been here for 11 years now, and those of you who grew up here, you didn't. But Joel did, and when I'm pointing, I'm pointing to Will. We, we, we need the video. We need the, the video. But um, I've always maintained, not, not across the board, but I have maintained that a lot of people who grew up here don't appreciate it as much as those of us who decided to move to Portland and love it. 
and have left behind not looking back on where we left. I'm mm-hmm. um, just really happy to be here. So I'm wondering if in that those t- periods when you're away, when, if you really appreciate Portland even more. I, I did. I think that's you're absolutely right that growing up also it's your hometown. So it's, you know, you to grow up, you got to leave it kind of. Mm-hmm. But it took, you know, seeing a lot of other cities really – appreciating them but then really appreciating how awesome portland is as a general town not just the fact that it's my hometown yeah so, not just your friends ex- exactly you friends here, but, but the actual city i i love it and how do you feel how do you both feel about it now because you're in the middle of a hot dining scene which is it's now it's not news anymore than it's hot so to mention that it's no longer that and now it's matured to the point where okay we know there's a dining scene now look what's going on around the dining scene because of it how do you feel about that now? I mean, we've definitely, I've been here for 10 years now, mm-hmm. so not, not quite the 11, here. but yeah, for, for quite a while. And the dining scene has definitely changed quite a bit since, since I first arrived oh, yeah. here. It's, it uh, it was yeah. around 2010, I think, when it really started. To, but, but I guess my question was, how do you feel about the city now? It's changing. It, it is definitely changing. You just look it's, around. It's, it's changing. It's way different. So how do you feel about it now? Especially you, Joel, because you grew up here and you... I mean, I will say I grew up on the west side, and back in the day, there was basically Hawthorne and Belmont, and you didn't really go across the river for either of those except occasionally. Mm-hmm. And now it's like all all the cool spots are over on the east side. It's funny because I have friends, like you said, that have probably moved away that I grew up with, and I'll tell them where I live in Portland, and they're like, what? And I'm like, no, you haven't been here in long enough. You don't understand. Like this is, It's a totally different landscape. So when I moved, and this story has been told on this podcast before, but because it's in this context, I'll say, when I, when I moved here and came to check out Portland in 04 and asked the concierge at the um, Fifth Avenue Suites, which is now the Monaco, mm-hmm. where to go to eat, and he told me a few places, and, he, and I asked him what's on the other side of that river. He said, you don't want to go there. <laughs> so that was 04. There was Genoa, though. <laughs> yeah, but he also he said I'd get lost too. That yeah. was his faith in driving in Portland, the yeah. drivers in Portland. But um but that and it took me a while to venture over there because when I moved here, that was my there was a, not only that, but the realtors had always said, you know, I needed schools for my kids for needed certain services, so mm-hmm. I was driven away from Portland. And so it took me a while. And uh now, if I if I were looking at Portland now and talking to realtors and people, I would get nowhere near the same advice. Yeah, be very sure. different advice. So, um, so, well, yeah. So you've been here ten years. You you've kind of grown with the city, right? You've gone through a lot of a lot of the same growth. You've grown with the dining scene, and you've been a big part of it too. So yeah, you were at Park Kitchen when Park Kitchen was. You know, known as the a hot spot for sure, yep. and not that it isn't now. That's that's what one of the things I'm trying to do is go back and look at places like Park Kitchen and saying people should think of it as a hot spot because mm-hmm. it is. It's that's a restaurant that has stood the test of time. Definitely, yeah. the The first year I was at Park Kitchen, they were in uh, Restaurant of the Year. Mm-hmm. Which is was, that O two? Uh, I think it was O. I think it was O. Oh, he op- opened it. Six. Was it when they were Restaurant of the Year? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Let's let's get Scott on the phone. Good, I could be wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was restaurant of the year. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. Uh, Park Kitchen was a great experience. That was where um, Joel and I met at Park Kitchen as well. Um, 
And there were the, a lot of people to meet there, right, at the time? There was, the crew that we had was, was strong all, all across the board. It's pretty cool to see where everybody is now. Well, name it, because I know a couple, but who were some of the, the folks that you, um, you were there with? When I first started, it was um, Dave Briggs from Chocolato de David, um, Eric Moore from uh, Free Bar and uh, Victory Bar, mm-hmm. um, John Stewart, the owner M- of Michi's, Michi's Bread and Beer, as well as um, Ashley Brown uh, Bazania, who um, who owns Feastworks Delicatessen, um, Alani Vieira, who was a cook and is now uh, he's a bartender around town. But it was a it was a pretty pretty dense crew. Was Kevin Ludwig there then? Kevin Ludwig was there as well. Yep, and then at uh, Laurelhurst now and Beaker and Flask in between Fame. for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, definitely, yeah, Kevin Atcherly from uh, Pine State Biscuits was a, a server there. Mm-hmm. It was really like a dream team. Everyone that left went on to do big things and own their own businesses. There are a few restaurants in Portland you could say that about. And then there was, you know, Scott grew from other restaurants, too. So there, he's, this is like, you guys there, are like third or fourth there generation. Was, yeah, yeah, there was once, uh, I think it was Willamette Week did, like the Six Degrees of Scott Dolich. And it was a family tree. Was it Scott Dolich? And but, then Michael Russell did the six degrees of everything. Yeah, there was yeah. another one with all of them. But there was one focusing on how Scott, you could pretty much connect everyone. Oh, I have to everyone check to. that out. It was pretty, pretty funny. So yeah. but just listening to those names, these people have gone on to be very successful. It's not like they went on to fail. For sure. You know? So, um, so how did you guys, of all those people, what about your personalities connected with each other in the kitchen at Park Kitchen? Um, one thing was that Joel and I both had a lot of, uh, stage experience. So, you know, just going around the country as well as out of the country and, uh, working for free at restaurants, you just kind of lend your skills and you get to, you get to work in the restaurants, work a station and really just see how the restaurants operate and glean as much information as you possibly can in a, in a shift period. What does it take to get a stage at a world renowned restaurant? Writing to them. I mean, honestly, there are a lot of a lot of other things that you can do, but the first step is actually writing to them. The a, first, co- a coherent letter exactly. with objectives. If you, can, and... if you write something that is really well thought out, and you'll probably get noticed because the number of things that people see, and we, we see that now on the business owner side, the amount of garbage emails that you get are hilarious. And so if you actually have, like, if you seem like a smart person in your email, they are probably going to listen to you. Does anybody ever send, send snail mail? Because I would think that would get noticed in a sea of emails. We haven't gotten we haven't gotten a snail mail uh, stage request. I've sent I've sent paper letters. Right. If I haven't received an email response for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would I'd treat it like a like a job. So send them a full on resume and cover letter tailored to the restaurant. And yeah, I I had great responses from. Yeah. Almost every restaurant that I that I sent to. And are you now receptive to those? Are you are you? Do you have people in your kitchen staging? No, Un- unfortunately not. It's something that we definitely want to at some point in the future. But the way that Holdfast operates right now, it's such a small environment. We've literally at most ever had somebody come wash dishes for us. That was a friend, but other <laughs> than that, you know, it's our services are really kind of theater, and so to. To have it flow right, everybody has to know exactly what's going on, and you don't have the luxury of having, you know, a couple services to train people up or anything. You have to be on right away. Mm-hmm. And so Will and I obviously can do that together excellently, but 
it's hard to bring somebody that we don't know into the into the mix with how the format is right now. So then, how do collaborations? How how does that? How does that harmony work when you have collaborations? Because that's another person in the mix, right? That for sure. The the luxury with that is that we have a little bit of grain of salt with all the collaborations. Everyone that comes to our dinners, and we have a lot of regular guests that come dine with us for our collaboration dinners. They're there for the show, and like they're probably the most riotous dinners that we have. You know, people are really engaged in everything, and so it doesn't have to be as as tight as of a service. You know. Because people are more relaxed and just there to enjoy the chefs that we have collaborating with us. Yeah, they wanted to be there. They had to jump on something. And what, what's the record <laughs> sellout for you in time? So um, it was years ago, but when we were still operating 100% on brown paper tickets, um, we sold out a whole month of dinners in under six minutes. Wow. Um, now Can I, I have... come to your seminar? <laughs> <laughs> it was just I know how to do that. The, the scarcity model at work, I think. But... Um, yeah, right, right place, right time for sure. When when Holdfest started, you know, we were kind of just right in the right at the the cusp of the pop up scene, really, well, really blowing up. Yeah, you also kind of you drew a lot of attention to it too. So for sure, were, I wouldn't say I would give you more, yourselves more credit than being <laughs> on the cusp. Of I think you were you were you got a lot of accolades for that. So your regular customers are on the collaborations. I went to one with Gabriel mm-hmm. Rucker. That yeah. was really fun. Um, so, uh, give us an idea of in a year how often your best regulars might dine with you, and how many. So, how how many days a week is it? Five. So we're um, Holdfast operates three days a week: Friday, three. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Okay. And then we also have dead shots. Dead shot but that's on new. Uh, Monday. So, so yeah. three. So three times it's 150 services, approximately 160. A year. What what do you what do you estimate your best customers? How often are they? I'm trying to I'm trying to give someone else the challenge to beat those people yeah. for you. Fifteen to twenty times in a year. Okay, would probably be our. And we have our most loyal. At least a handful of people that are at that rate, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's nice to have those people, and they bring others. I'm sure they for turn sure. other people. We we have one um, great great group of regulars that have pretty much a reservation every single month, and they bring a different couple in every single month too just friends um from their condo and each one's a different group of customers so that's always kind of fun so do you see them coming back with with others i don't think we think so i, I don't get think that we've seen lot. that one yet oh i get yeah. quite a bit of that where yeah. people bring people and then the other people at least or come on their own and then say can i sit with these folks if they're going to be here for sure i don't do as many, i do one a month so <laughs> it's not the same thing we had a conversation the other day, uh, Chris, with one of the chefs, one of the great chefs that we have come here into the studio, and he was talking about this idea of changing the software he uses to uh, input inventory and do bill tickets and all that stuff. And it got me thinking about, like, for a lot of restaurants that have been using the same systems for a lot of years or or don't restu- have one or don't even have one, right? there are, there are places still out there where everything's kind of handwritten. It's like old school. What a great thing it would be to have UpServe which is the industry's largest and most comprehensive cloud-based restaurant management system. Yeah, and there's a lot of data out there. So UpServe's analytics and point-of-sale solutions help restaurants run a smoother operation. That's right. The great thing about UpServe is help you know which menu items are driving repeat business. You can also use it to help measure staff performance. I know a lot of people haven't even thought about like the, the system they are for inventory and for the menu. It could also help them with their staff. Right, and I would imagine... I don't own a restaurant, 
that there are a lot of restaurants out there piecemealing this software that does this together yeah. and this. This is everything in one spot with Upserve. There are actually 8,000 restaurants across the country already using Upserve services. And again, it is cloud-based, so you can be away from the restaurant and still be checking in to see how things are going. Here's a great thing. If you go to rightatthefork.com, you can click on the Upserve logo or just head straight to it, upserve.com slash rightatthefork, and you can request a demo today. There's even a video there that will explain it all. Right, and they'll have a special offer for you because you're coming from Portland. And you're our listeners. That's right. So head to rightatthefork.com, click on the Upserve logo, or upserve.com slash rightatthefork. So uh, I wanted to ask both of you, what in your childhoods made you realize that this is what you wanted to do? Uh, I grew up in the restaurant business. Uh, my dad ran 24-hour diners in uh, Cleveland. So... Uh, from before I was born all the way through high school, my dad had at least one diner. Um, at most, I think he had four at one time when I was alive. So I, uh, I started working in the restaurant in elementary school, uh, bussing tables, and then in middle school I was making uh, cheesecake and brownies for the restaurant. And then I started cooking on the line when I was in high school. So is your dad still alive? He is, yeah. He, uh, he lives in Portland now. And uh, so what does he think about your style of cooking versus the diner stuff he was um, he was throwing out there? He's definitely a meat and potatoes kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has dined with us at, at Holdfast, but not not super frequently. It's definitely not not his style. Um, he was definitely impressed by the the business plan and just seeing the business model at work, knowing that uh, you know what we can do with two or, or three people and how many customers we can serve. Really, really impressed him. And ha- and the ticket you can get, too. The, what you can charge people, because at a diner in, you know, Dif- 30 years ago, I don't <laughs> different know how check long. average. Yeah, for sure. yeah different yeah. check average. Especially was, in Cleveland. $10, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah at the diner, we, ta- we didn't talk about covers. It was just, you know, the dollar amount of what we would do on a on a Saturday or Sunday brunch. Do you have any idea what that was? Yeah, it would be um, 2100 was like a, a good a good Saturday or Sunday brunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to actually like figure out exactly how many customers that was. We were probably at seven dollars a plate average. I'd like to guess. compare that to some of you know some like talk to Lisa Schroeder, <laughs> what what she does. She does like what did she say like a thousand eggs on a Saturday or Sunday? That's crazy. So, oh my gosh, nuts! Yeah, I don't envy that. Uh <laughs> it's a very different thing than what you're doing <laughs> for sure. <laughs> the opposite end of the spectrum. What about you, Joel? What? Um, growing up, one of my best friend's dads ran a restaurant in southwest Portland, and so back in elementary school, take your kid to work day, we'd go and chop onions and stuff. So I already kind of had an interest in the restaurants and restaurant scene in general, but in sixth grade, I read Michael Rollman's The Making of a Chef, where he kind of documents going through the Culinary Institute of America. Mm-hmm. Decided that's where I wanted to go right then, and then seventh grade, I read his follow-up book, that's the soul of a chef. And with that, he talks about spending time at the French Laundry, and that's when I decided that that was my next step that I wanted to do. Wow, that's pretty early on. I, I had no idea at that. Well, actually, I did. It's really interesting, and I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago. I wanted to be a sports announcer. Yeah. So a couple of years ago when I auditioned for this podcast and had a mic in front of mm-hmm. me, it hit me that moment, hey, this is kind of what I wanted to do. So that's it'd be like awesome. you having... But it took a long time to get there, and it was never on my refrigerator as my goal. <laughs> so there was a lot on my refrigerator in it that mm-hmm. I was eating. But um, So did you have good 
did was your mom were your mom and dad good they, cooks were they they're both really good cooks they're really supportive um it was fun going through school you know middle school and high school where I think seventh grade in my French class, my teacher let me teach the class as a cooking class. Oh, cool. And we we actually have some of my teachers from high school that come in. One comes in about once a month. Wow. Um, so that's kind Do you of remember fun. what you made? Um, I think I did potato galette stuffed with gorzan. Wow. Which I still eat. That's a, a lot, lot more elaborate. So in, se- <laughs> in, seventh in seventh grade, grade, we had, and this is way before your time, but we had uh, what was called family life and sex education. They combined domesticity <laughs> and sex education together. And uh, I remember in that class, I made cheddar cheese pancakes. And that was, that was the extent good, of it. And then when I got to uh, Syracuse, New York, and I lived in a co-op, there were 14 of us thrown in a house and all had to cook. We all had to alternate nights. Mm-hmm. So everybody had one night. Couple, we were paired off. No, no one had ever really cooked anything. I had, I had warmed up, you know, Totino's pizzas before. <laughs> that was about it. So I always marvel at, at an early age where you wanted to get started and you were able to do that in mm. seventh grade. We just didn't have a clue. And you must have <laughs> been pretty good, too. Did, when, when were you actually, when did you put an apron on and start flipping eggs? Um, in the restaurant, it was, uh, I was probably 14, 15. Um, at home, my dad taught me how to flip. He taught me how to flip eggs with toast when I was like four or five, just cooking in the kitchen. Uh, when my dad would cook, it would either be at home, it would be um, something grilled outside or breakfast for dinner. That was usually uh, that was what my dad would make. But my mom was the, the 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 usual cook for our house. And then what was she making in Cleveland? Uh, 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 my, my, my mom. <laughs> what was my mom making in Cleveland? We ate meatloaf. Uh, a lot of like Ortega tacos, hard shell, the kit, which, mm-hmm. was, which I still have a special place in my heart for. Um, grilled chicken breast, boneless, skinless, marinated in uh, Italian dressing. Mm. Yep, that was a that was a usual one for sure. So, do you have any uh, guilty pleasures left over? You know, like the Cheetos or Taco Bell or anything anything like that that you'd almost be embarrassed to admit. I'm, no, there's no no shame at all. Um, no, I love chicken fingers. I love all diner food. Uh, any most lowbrow food, I'm pretty pretty happy to be eating. When was the last time you had fast food, like a McDonald's? The last time I had McDonald's was probably in Lincoln City over the summer. Oh, okay, that a, recently. Yeah, I probably had an egg McMuffin and hash browns. Good. How yeah. was that for you? It was delicious. Yeah, I'm still. Yeah, it was wonderful. One of my guilty pleasures is the as a sausage biscuit for a buck. They just raised two buck and a quarter, and a dollar coffee at McDonald's. Easy on the drive-through. What about <laughs> what about you? Um, I rock Kraft mac and cheese fairly frequently still. And how do you um, rock it? Well, I'll do it at night, like midnight after service. However, I usually save up all of our, if we have like truffle trim and things like that. I'll yeah, take that home with me. You're really rocking it. So, you know, it works out. Although actually Annie's White Mac works better with truffle than Kraft Original Classic. It's a wow. little too little too bright yellow. So that's what I eat, just unadulterated. So you need to help me out with mac and cheese, okay? I like it. And I like like having a, a burger on the plate with it and dip sliding the burger through the... But how do you keep mac and cheese from getting cold within a minute and a half? It's just, you have to eat it that fast. Yeah. There's an, especially craft. There's no way to keep it from not setting into that perfect coagulated thing. Yeah, it's just too fast for me. <laughs> it's never hot. It's never warm. Maybe I just need a hot plate to 
he, I don't know. It's not it's not my quest in life. No. But I'm just just curious. So um, where do you guys see yourselves? What are your plans for that you're able to reveal in the future? Do you see yourselves doing three nights a week at Holdfast five years from now? Hopefully, yeah. That would be it would be awesome if we're we're both still at Holdfast three four days a week. Um, maybe some more seats. Maybe different place. Maybe are you locked into to where you are? It could be a different location too. Um, we're the Deadshot thing was to have a relief from the three days that we're doing of Holdfast. So it's something a little bit more fun. That that's something that we'd like to expand on. Um, and see where that takes it, but to keep the core hold fast, kind of the same that it that it's always been, because we really enjoy that. But you know, want to you always want to see what else you can do. Well, I think it's really cool that you added something that's completely different from what you're doing, and give give everybody an opportunity to experience what, not necessarily hold fast dining, but just experience the best of what you can do in a different way. Come in and sure. not have not have to buy tickets ahead of time and. Mm-hmm. And come in and hang out. So, for the uninitiated, talk a little bit about what your vision and what what's going on with with Deadshot. So, uh, for Deadshot, we uh, transform our ourselves into a casual cocktail bar. Um, Adam Robinson is our uh, bartender. He's uh, has uh, seven to ten cocktails on the menu. Everything is a la carte. There's an a la carte food menu. We have wines by the glass as well as a few beers. And it's a nearly a complete departure from from Holdfast, uh, in the sense that it's no reservations, no tasting menu. You just come in and order what you like, like a like a normal bar. Yeah, um, the the drinks. I mean, Adam, we can't say enough about. He was our bar manager. He was both back at Park Kitchen as well as when we went on to the Bent Brick. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've we've always come together really well. We've done a couple Holdfast dinners where he paired cocktails with us. Um, because I think his drinks just really lean towards what we like to do in food. He kind of approaches it that same way. So you didn't need to sit down with him and say, here's our, he knew exactly what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite cocktail at Deadshot? I really like the, who is Jack Nance? Who's Jack Nance? Who is Jack Nance? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll have to find that out. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) For sure. I won't ask. I, I have to go in and do the mystery and what is, how is that prepared? It's a uh, whiskey-based cocktail that has uh, Nance's mustard in it, and it's a uh, it's awesome. It gets a really good response. Um, Adams actually had uh, people come into the other bar that he he works at and requesting that that drink. And does he do it, or does he say uh, he, no? You got to go to Deadshot. He did it. it. He did it for him. <laughs> he did it for him. He uh, kind of he whipped it together with uh, what supplies were on hand. He probably didn't have Nance's mustard though, because I think he get that's like an East Coast mustard that he's been yeah. getting in for that. <laughs> Do you um, at are you sourcing anything that is exclusive to another area? When is mostly everything from the Northwest? We won't go. We don't have to go exclusively Northwest. Like this last weekend, we had mackerel on the menu that was coming from Norway, mm-hmm. and honestly, the the quality of it is amazing. And so we definitely, you know promote and try to do as much local things as we can but if we can find something unique we'll, we're not afraid to bring it in so is that generated by your supplier who says to you hey i got some mackerel that's incredible or do you guys 
say, hey, we need to do a mackerel thing. Let's go seek it out. I guess it's probably both ways, depending on where you're, what's going on on the menu. Yeah, it's both ways for sure. Um, the mackerel in particular is just a, a product that we, we know and love. It's uh, sashimi grade and just really beautiful stuff. But we definitely are influenced by our purveyors and suppliers. If they have something that we're really excited about or that, that they're really excited about, chances are we'll be, we'll be pretty excited too. I would imagine, and then your customers would be yeah, quite excited. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, we are sourcing um, country hams from uh, from the East Coast and, and from the South. Um, on the menu at Deadshot, we've got a Finchville country ham from uh, from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, but we'll always have uh, at least one ham on at, uh, at Deadshot. So just for fun. What's the most ridiculous customer experience that you've had? Well, actually, on your side of the most ridiculous customer reaction that you've had that you can think of at uh, at Holdfast. Nothing's uh, coming to mind. No, Everybody's just been wonderful and, and appreciative? Okay, yeah. well, that answers that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm trying to really, like, dig through and see if there's something juicy. Um, well, we did have one awkward one where a, a guy fainted and, and that kind of stopped the show for a, for a minute. Um, turned out he was totally fine, but it was in the middle of service and a customer was just a little lightheaded and fainted. And we had to call call the ambulance and do all that. And so that, that but it starts, wasn't that was because on, of your food and he no. wasn't blaming it on your food. No. That would be more, that, that would be juicier. That would be juicier. We didn't have any of that. None of that. Yeah, everyone's pretty well behaved. So I can't well believe behaved. you've served so many people. And um, there have to be people coming who don't know know what to expect, right? Who, and so sure, you're satisfying sure. them all. That's great. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not doubting it. I just think that at some point there are people who don't understand that type of service, coursed out. We there not- definitely we do have to ex- explain it. But the one nice thing, so we also switched over to open table, so a more a more traditional reservation system. And with that, we had a lot more customers that will come in and not necessarily know the program that everybody's, you know, sitting at the same time, getting the same meal. But we're usually able to tell, you know, right off the bat when they come in if they're a little unfamiliar with the terrain and can, you know, go up to them, explain everything. And at that point, I mean, if as long as you treat them, you know, fairly and friendly, everybody kind of understands and, and gets it by the first or second course. And, you know, the experience at Holdfast is pretty laid back. Yes. And yeah, it's really hard to get stressed out it's, in that we, in that we try not to environment be at all. So yeah, no, it's you guys are having fun with it too, which I guess was the original plan, and yeah. that's why you'd like to continue doing it for five years for sure. And you don't have the frustrations that I'm seeing all over, or that everybody's seeing all over Portland, and trying to hire good help because it's just you guys. Yeah, that's so, definitely one of the beautiful things about the business model, um, just being able to. You know, we have control over all the variables and staffing and labor being uh, a big huge variable now. That's actually when we sit down and have our collaboration meetings each month with our whichever chef we're doing the collaboration with. That's pretty much nine times out of ten one of the talking points once we get done talking about the menu and we're just, you know, shooting the shit. They'll have some nightmares pulling their hair out about staffing problems. So. Where they are. Where they yeah, are. Yeah, and yeah. that's why we have to kind of sheepishly be like, oh, sorry, we don't know what, what you're talking about. So then from a business standpoint, other than Deadshot and maybe increasing a day, you don't, have, you don't have a lot of growth potential. You have to be happy where you are and happy with 
exactly the model as it is and, and maybe raise prices over the years a little bit to keep up with food costs. But yeah. I had the same I had the same experience with advertising and I had a small agency for years and it worked out well for me. It had its pitfalls, but it also had its huge advantages. And I once spoke with uh, a friend of mine who had 40 employees and I said, I could start going in that direction. Mm. And he said, no, don't no. just keep it simple. And, uh, and I can't say that worked out perfectly, but I can also say I was less stressed out for 20 years for than sure. I might have been. So that's it too. I would imagine it's a little stress control for you guys. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you don't have to go out and, and, uh, expend energy getting crazy with guys like Gary. Right, you don't you don't need to go. You don't need to uh, alleviate stress by doing that. You already have a pretty laid back business life. Yeah, I mean, it, like all restaurants, even if you have you know as much control as we have, there's definitely some still some some stresses. But we've we've done what we can to kind of to minimize that for sure. Yeah, well, I would imagine on any given week, there's no real monkey wrench that's new that you haven't dealt with before. Yeah. So. So what do you do then on your off time? What do you guys like to do? Um, and do you spend it together? Not a whole lot, yeah. because <laughs> when we're spending all the time at work, that's the one. That's the reason why I think we're able to stay on such even keel terms. But I go, I go searching for dive bars all the time. That's one of my hobbies. And so, what are your some of your? Uh, do you not want to reveal them? I kind of don't want to reveal all of them. Yeah, but, well, give us a couple. Um. Well, all right. One one of my favorites, and this is for fried chicken as well. Yeah. Everybody goes to Real Men. Yeah. The industry spot. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with it. I like it, but my favorite's Hourglass, and it's a little bit farther up on Gleason, and awesome fried chicken, and the vibe of the bar is is just your standard awesome dive bar. Super friendly bartenders, really mellow. Do you run into friends in the industry there, or is that a place mm, where you can just escape? The only friends I run into are the friends that I'm that I'm there with too. All right, all right. Hourglass, got to make note of that because I like the fried chicken. Yeah. Um, have you been to May? I haven't gotten that? to go in yet, and I, I really want to. You should. It's, I feel like I'm missing out. Yeah, I think you are. Yeah, I think you are. Has she been in? To, she she has. Yes, yeah, so you guys. Well, I, I already, I have one linchpin is that uh, my girlfriend doesn't eat pork, and I know that she fries her chicken in, in pork fat, as well as beef and chicken. So, so okay, well, I'm going to so, say this so to then your I'm girlfriend. So then I'm going to get in trouble if I go there by myself. All right, I'm going <laughs> to throw this out there. We just did a trip, as you know, to Spain with Jose mm -hmm. from Atawa. We had two guests, specifically one, who came with us who had not consumed meat in 30 years and ate every single thing served to us in Spain. That's wow. You know, a lot of pork. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I got sick on how much pork, how much heavy food we had. So if she can do it, your girlfriend can can enjoy <laughs> May. Come on. I'll, I'll let you make that argument. Is it, a, is it an <laughs> allergy or just a preference? Preference. Okay. So let, let's go to that now at the restaurant. Do you invite you invite uh, people to give you their quote unquote allergies and preferences. So uh, we still on our website it still says that we you know do very little accommodating of guests. But if someone emails us or reaches out to us with advance notice, we will accommodate to a degree. So um, what does that mean? Gluten free, uh, gluten free, dairy free, pescatarian. 
Okay. Um, we won't do a full-on vegetarian meal. Um, it just, it's just, it's not the same as what it would be. We feel like we can do the other substitutions and still have the, the meal be very holdfast and very much what we intended to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... But past, you need some advance notice on that. There's some people exactly. that would show up that night and say, hey, listen, and by the way... We have had that happen. I'm sure. And that that's always frustrating because it's just we're not or we're scrambling to give you the same experience that everybody else is getting when all it would take is, you know, a little heads up. But. I think if you have those, I guess I'll call them issues because it could be out. You kind of need to be on it that it's your responsibility to, mm-hmm. to for your own dining experience to to be on it ahead of time. For sure. I mean, because if that's something you say every time you go into a restaurant, how about you, especially with a, an experience like yours yeah. when you're prepping days in advance or starting to think about it. Um, anyway, I was just, everybody was incredibly uh, impressed with Barbara who came with us, who just ate everything That's along awesome. the way. And I thought, man, there she's having, we had an incredible experience. We went to some of the best restaurants in the world. I saw you got to eat at Canroca, right? Yeah, we went to Canroca and that was the first day. That was oh, the wow. start of it. And uh, that was incredible. But um, but she, I realized when she announced that, I said, she's having a completely different experience than all of us are having because she's entering this whole world of adventure. You know, when we get a dish, well, we've had pork before. Mm-hmm. But for her, it was enjoying it. And she, she I have to say, anyway, I kind of go off on that rant because there are so many people with issues. And the only one that she had was duck that she knew she was allergic to. Gotcha. But um, so I encourage a girlfriend right here on this podcast to go try some great fried chicken. It's not going to put her down, I don't think. Uh, although, I, Court, we need the responsibility disclaimer too. Anything said on this podcast, right? The the views of Chris Angeles are not those of everybody else in this room. I was my suggestion was just going to be that maybe you just need a new girlfriend. But Chris is whoa, wait, no, Chris is uh, a lot more gentle than I am. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. no send no. your send your mean tweets to Chris. And I don't. Yeah. I, well, you can send all the tweets you want because I don't pay much attention to Twitter. But uh, but I, while we're at it, because we always forget, where do people find you on your social media? We usually do that at the end, but as long as we're just mentioning Twitter. Uh, it's at Holdfast Dining, hashtag Holdfast Dining. So no PDX? No PDX. Not on that. Well, for Deadshot, <laughs> Deadshot is Deadshot PDX. Okay, so the reason is because Deadshot's really for locals. And Holdfast, you get a lot of people from out of town, and you can't assume that they know the PDX. I've kind of figured this formula out. Some restaurants do not use it because they want to be found by those from out of town. What percentage of your customers are from out of town? We have quite a few now. Yeah, these days, on certain nights, it could be up to 50% for sure. Um, a few weeks ago, we actually had an experience at Holdfast where all of our customers were new customers that night. And that almost never happens for us. That was probably once in a blue moon. Mm-hmm. But it was really kind of cool to see that, you know, we, we do have a bigger, we have a bigger reach where you know, we're, we're reaching out to a wider audience these days, which is really nice. And are things as busy? And I ask that for two reasons, because, you know, when you started Fast, there weren't a lot of pop-ups and there weren't a lot of events. I'm in the position now where I can, I totally feel how many ticketed events there are in Portland. So it's, it's crazy because it could be 30 a week all of a sudden. So you're competing with that. 
And then also the traffic, I would imagine. I, I ran into Dana at Nana the other night, mm-hmm. and she said that she's seeing fewer people from the west side. And I know it because I'm from the west side, and so many times I'm on my way out, and I'm thinking, I don't want to deal with this. It's 45 minutes to get to southeast or northeast from where I live. Are you feeling that at all? Um, I don't think we've really felt traffic, per se. Um, so you're, you're not seeing... You're, I mean, you don't ask everybody where they're from. We don't. Yeah, we don't really have an idea of like what quadrant they're driving from. or. Um, but usually, you know, people are planning the planning to dine with us so far in advance that I don't think they'd really let, you know... Traffic wouldn't be the thing to stop them. Well, but we yeah, do that's have, true. We do have last minute, some last minute cancellations. That's true. You're not going to feel like that. that. You're not going to feel it as much because people have to commit too early to deal with that. Yeah. So are you still sold out far in advance? Yeah. So um, we are fully on open table now, except for you know monthly events like collaboration dinners or or something special. And yeah, we're uh, we're we're sold out every uh, every dinner for sure. Um, Usually two, three weeks in advance would be. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember how far out we are right now. So but you're yeah. not, but you're still, you're not getting the six minute monthly sellouts. We're not, no. So if someone's on it, they can easily get. For sure, absolutely. And, and also, I mean, that's one thing that Open Table helps with is, like we said, we do get last minute cancellations, and so you can, if you check again, you can get them the same weekend if somebody happened to cancel. Sounds to me. Like Open Table should be sponsoring this podcast, <laughs> right? Does, and you must know somebody over there. I'm just, I'm just kidding. You can but you're giving them, too. you're giving them a real yeah. good, you're giving them a nice endorsement here because there are a lot of, I know a lot of uh, pop-ups and restaurants like yours that have gone through uh, numerous different services to try to, yeah, it uh, um, find the best solution. Yeah, we've been with. We've been on open table reservations for a little over a year now. Probably the last six months have been smooth, but the first six months were treacherous, in all fairness. Was that your Full fault or their fault? Uh, their fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, open table just wasn't really set up to do reservations for as small of a restaurant as we operate. Because we are a unique format, and so they weren't used to dealing with that. They're more standard issue restaurant reservations and everything. So. So it was. So when the hours come up, do they only show you it just, the one seating? It is just it? shows you the seven o'clock seating. But before, um, you know, we have sixteen seats, and if fourteen customers were to book, it would show as sold out, and not not give those remaining two reservations a chance to be sold. Um, sometimes it would stop at twelve. Why would it do that? Um, just uh, based on the way that uh, Open Table software was automatically configuring the dining room layout would assign seats in a way that wouldn't leave available options. And for a, a very large restaurant, it might not be as big of a deal. And sometimes we would get overbooked as well, underbooking and overbooking. And uh, for a normal restaurant that you know has multiple seatings or staggered reservations, maybe not as big of a deal. Right. But for us, with a, a firm seat number, made a big difference. I found with, um, with uh, brown paper tickets... When we'll open up a couple of extra seats, two or four, we'll say, and if you go out and promote that, and someone just goes and s- just looks and puts it in a shopping cart but doesn't buy them, it knocks it out for an hour. So you could have that Twitter flurry yeah. of people coming to look, and they'll look for an hour and say it's sold out, and you'll never see them again. And that, that's a, you know my little challenge on that end. And used to do brown paper tickets, too. And we saw the same thing with brown paper tickets. Um, if we would ever have a cancellation with brown paper tickets, it would be 
difficult to get the the remaining seats filled. Um, you know, there's no like you can't just click a button and then show you what's available. You have to go to each event and try and 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 buy seats or right. buy tickets. And they can't their customer service I think is fantastic, but they have no control over, "Hey, can you release those now because I know people are looking and I'd like to get those sold for tonight." Without cuz I've had that happen a few times. For sure. So the the challenges that you have. What are some of your other bigger challenges at, at Holdfast um, that you go through? Things you'd like to tackle? Um, we can't really do fermentation projects at at the at Holdfast currently, um, since we are in the front room of a winery. We have to be pretty specific about um, about the types of bacteria that are that are in the room. So at, at restaurants in the past, we've done you know making our own sauerkraut, having our own vinegars. Uh, doing lacto-fermented pickles, and it's not something that we're able to to do at all in our in our current space. It's probably a good excuse to get rid of some customers too. Excuse me, sir, we're not allowed to have that kind of bacteria. <laughs> yeah. We haven't used that one yet. <laughs> well, thankfully you haven't. It sounds sounds like you generally always have. It's always a pleasant, positive experience over there. It seems like it. Are there any other restaurants that you go to that um, where you see the, cus- the experience here is fantastic, and, and you might be able to glean something out of it. Um, it's a little different because you're doing front of the house and back of the house at the same time, but you can learn some things that are done properly. Actually, it's probably easier to see what's not done well at certain restaurants than because we all know what generally good customer service is. But do you see anything at any other places? Any, anybody in town doing it so well that you feel you should mention it? I'm drawing blanks right now. Wow. But, I mean, that's not to say that I haven't had some great meals recently. Have you had any good ones recently that, you, that are yeah. noteworthy? Um, I had a really good meal at Rue um, the other day, and that was fun. They're in the neighborhood, so just stopping in, sat at the bar and had some good plates. It was just at Dame, which was pretty awesome. Um, beautiful space uh, there if you haven't been in yet. I hear nothing but good things. I was by there uh, two nights ago and was too late, stepped in, and they were cleaning up. So didn't get there soon enough, but um, have to. Uh, Not a new restaurant, but I went to uh, Laurelhurst Market recently, Mm -hmm. um, and it was awesome. I mean, you know, with their staff changes, it does. It definitely seems like a renewed restaurant with um, Benny in the kitchen, as well as uh, Bones or John from uh, the Pigeon and uh, Rum Club. Mm -hmm. He's the the sous chef there now, and Kevin Ludwig wasn't wasn't there himself, but his his cocktail menu is awesome. So, you know, while it is an old favorite that I've been to 10 plus times, it was uh, it was great. Very happy to return. So what do you think of the the fact that we are so often tied up in this town in the new? At what point, when Holdfast is 10 years old, are you going to be one, you know, wishing that you get more publicity? How do you keep How do you keep it fresh and exciting? I think you guys are doing a great job because you're doing something that's different. If you were a regular service restaurant and you're now on year... Three, three and a half. Three and a, yeah, coming yeah. on year four. Yeah, um, wh- it's tough for sure because there's always so much new things. Whenever they do the list of like this many restaurants opened in the quarter of the year, it's kind of baffling. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. We've been we've definitely it's been on our radar a little bit that we aren't a new restaurant anymore, and you know we haven't really like sat down and had a meeting about like how to stay fresh or how to stay relevant. 
but we've you know we've made some changes we have uh we brought um deadshot as as a part of our program just to freshen things up a little bit have a nice creative outlet for for joel and i and um we've uh, but also over the course of those years we've done it's been small incremental um changes that have improved everything about the experience in our opinion but it's not like oh we need to do a major thing it's just like oh We've changed locations. It's a little bit more intimate setting. We have um, Jeff Beer doing our wines all the time, so it's a it's a lot more you know thought out approach to everything about the service aspect of it. Um, so just adding a little thing at a time, I think, has really helped keep everything fresh. Keep or not even necessarily fresh, but just keep elevating what we're doing without doing a whole makeover or anything like that. Do you have monthly or weekly meetings where you sit down and say, okay, state of, state of hold fast? No. no. <laughs> that would, no, that would fuck it up, I'm sure. You know? <laughs> I'm not suggesting you do that either. Yeah, but I mean, we have been trying to, you know, evolve with, with the times for sure. And what does that mean? Um, just kind of growing with the business, um, bringing, uh, bringing Jeff Veer on full-time, as Joel said. He was... Um, he was doing wine pairings for us for a long time, but now he's a part of daily service. And, um, you know, while we we felt like we could do an excellent job describing the food and giving the guests the experience that they, they needed on that end, um, Jeff is able to do a, a much better job of that with the wine than, than we were. So that was one thing that definitely elevated our game in the past, in the past year so and a half. So the wine pairings are up. If someone hasn't been to see you in a while... That they're getting a better wine experience. Wine or beer or cider. He goes he goes all over the place. Oh, cool. Yeah. Great. So you guys are about the same age, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Music tastes. Are they the same? Do you guys have Yeah, so they're not exactly the same. How do you how do you resolve that not only in prep and in service? We have for service we have a number of different playlists we've put together that I think overall that's more. That's not as much of what we personally listen to as to what the guest experience is going to be, and we'll literally start a service and then see if the guests are totally different. Change it up, you know. Try and make everybody comfortable. So, you, do you if if it's a younger crowd, do you change it up versus a, an older crowd? Absolutely. Cool. And so, um, so that you were not nece- people aren't necessarily getting the Joel and Will music experience because you're not listening. What do you guys like? I listen to a lot of rap and hip hop, but these days it's bad rap and hip hop, like really? commercial stuff on the radio. Yeah, I and enjoy that's, it a that's lot. That's our our prep music most of the time. Is that? Oh. Yeah, but I'll go to my lady and I will go to hip hop concerts in town and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So those are the concerts you go to is hip hop for sure. All right, it's a totally it's a generational thing. <laughs> I wouldn't be there. Although I just went clubbing in uh, Madrid. With, I, I with, Mr. Gor- with John Gorham and and uh, and the chef from Conamore over there, Wanjo. Um, yeah, that was pretty crazy. I enjoyed it. I had a good time, um, but I haven't done that. You know, I used to be the stage manager at the Whiskey A Go Go long ago, before that it was hip hop, when it was a punk club. So it's not like I'm out of the realm, but it's <laughs> just been a while since I've been going out to do that. How often do you get out at night to let loose? I was just at the Fanagram show this last week. That was fun. Um, try to go to concerts at least once a month. All right, what's coming up at Holdfast? Do you have any collaborations coming up? Yeah, we've got a couple of collaborations on the 
on the books. We're doing one with uh, Gregory Gorday in uh, October. The busiest man in show business. Which is, he sure is. We had a meeting with him. He's in about, Paris right now. Yeah, well, we had a meeting with him about the menu, and then about 12 hours later, he was in Paris. So that's pretty. He's absolutely, I don't know how anybody does it. Especially, not only that, with all the appearances he does, he's got Denver going on. But I don't, I don't know if he's running as much as he used to because I don't see it. I used to see, <laughs> I used to watch how much he ran and just feel like such a schlep. Um, and he's, it didn't take just watching that. But he's an impressive individual. He yeah, really he, is. Got a lot going on that guy. He's driven. Who else is coming in? Uh, we're going to be doing a, another dinner in uh, November. It's going to be a breakfast for dinner with uh, Kathy High. She is the uh, head baker of uh, Bowery Bagels and a really good friend of ours. Oh, okay. We uh, we met her when we were still working out of Kitchen Crew. That's what I figured. Um, and she'd done uh, she's done a number of like small breads or you know little spe- specialty items for our Holdfast services. But she was really excited to do breakfast and uh, it's something that we've never done at at Holdfast. Have you done the menu yet? That not, sounds interesting. Not yet. Yeah. And then we have one in December with Timothy Wastel. Oh. who's a really good friend of ours. He comes and helps us out sometimes when we have private events or extra extra events going on. So we're looking forward to that. It'll be right around Christmas time, so we might might try to do some, some Christmassy-themed dishes. Oh, very cool. So he's at, is he at Sweetie D now? He is no longer at Sweetie D. He, um, he's got too many time commitments with a, with a wife and his new baby. Oh, okay. So uh, I think it was just a... Yeah, I think he, he left for uh, time reasons. I miss him at DOC, although I haven't been to DOC, but I lately I just ran into Dana the other night and I apologize for that. Yeah, that's, a, that's another one that's it's always solid there, but it's it's hard to remember when there are all the other restaurants too. Yeah, and it's gone through a few chef changes sure. over the years. Um, and when we have a fun thing going on next week at Park Kitchen, where um, if I if people haven't heard enough of you from this podcast, <laughs> they can come hang out with you and sit. You're going to be eating with us and Scott at Park Kitchen um, celebrating their being around. It's my new effort with PFA Classic to celebrate the restaurants that have been around for a long time that people should be paying attention to. Yeah, awesome. And, Sounds like a lot of fun. And I think it'll be a lot of fun to do that. And David is, I think, one of the best chefs in Portland right now. We, I just, um, well, over at uh, Standard, we did another Battle of the Chefs with those folks, although you didn't do that um, when we were over at Standard a few years ago. But he just knocked it out of the park. I was so impressed with, it's, a, it's kind of an unofficial exhibition. But he, did, he, he went over and above with it. And awesome. uh, Dave is just fantastic. And Park Kitchen is, that room is one of the most beautiful rooms in Portland, I think. For sure. Over at Park Kitchen. So we'll look forward to that on November 9th, right? Yeah. Um, thank you guys for coming in. Absolutely. Yeah, Appreciate it. This is a blast. It's getting two people in on a Monday morning. I it's know. not easy. We've got to go start <laughs> prepping for service tonight. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll stop by and grab, grab uh, a few bites and, and you can find, find out, out who's Jack Nance. Who, find out who's Jack Nance. If I don't, everybody else should be going in and letting right. us know. Or they'll just Google it. Yeah, (laughs) go go in and drink it. That's the best way to do it. For sure. Thanks. Right at the Fork is supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. The legendary food dude dishes up Portland food news and comprehensive guides to just about everything that has to do with food in Portland. From coffee and wine shops to bakeries and more. 
Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. <laughs>